you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Matthew 21, 21. Welcome back. It's a Monday night here in the cluttered closet that I call my podcast recording studio, and I hope all of you are doing well. This is Dr. Jim Schrader and Living a Whole Christian Life. So we're going to end this series on movement and exercise. We've been talking about the, the first physical element in the rooms of our whole Christian life. And so I'm going to begin with a story. This was a story about five years ago, and my friend, two brothers, actually two brothers and two friends and I had gone to Great Basin National Park in the middle of Nevada. We had flown into Salt Lake City and driven through the middle of the night in what's called the loneliest road of America. And as we arrived at the trailhead, it was near sunrise, and we got all of our gear ready, and we got everything prepared and ready to head out. And as we hiked up the mountain, we slowly meandered around through the trail and up the mountain to about near 10,000 feet. And as we got to the top, it wasn't actually the very the high point, uh, but the top of the mountain where we were at there, we, we rested for a while. And at one point, one of my friends, Sean, said to me, I'm not feeling very well at all. And he looked pale, and you could clearly see that he, he definitely wasn't feeling well at all. And as we took off after our rest, he got worse and worse. And without uh, being too explicit here, <laughs> Sean um, began barfing like a bear. And it honestly didn't look very good at that point. And we later figured out that it was probably too much Gatorade that he had pounded before starting the trip, actually four Gatorades, and some altitude, maybe sickness at that point that had come together to make for actually a pretty precarious situation. But as Sean is a resilient person, he gradually recovered as the hike continued. And by that night, in our tents, Sean had come back in a really strong way. The next day, we got up, and we were near 10,000 feet and we began our trek upward into the ancient Bristlecone Pine Forest. And for those of you who don't know, the Bristlecone Pines are the oldest trees in the world, found only in a few places. So old that some of them began growing before Christ was born. And in some ways, they begin a very slow dying process. But as we're walking through this ancient, ancient forest, I couldn't help but think of the spirituality of just the religiosity that was there at that moment. So as we continued on through our second day at Great Basin, we ended through the scrub pines into this gradual scree field. And, and when we had first heard about this route to the high point at Wheeler Peak, when we thought of scree, we thought of just the, the fine rock that you often find on mountain passes and other places. But as we went upward slowly through the scree field, the scree of all sorts of sizes became the size of Volkswagens down to the size of our foot. And it really just became this like exercise and hopping with our packs on our back over and over and up the scree, up to the side of the, the mountainside there as we looked to find our route to Wheeler Peak. But as the day continued on, it became clear that this would turn out to be the toughest day of hiking most of us had ever been a part of. And although we had hiked many more days than this one, there was no doubt not a hike. This was a point by point, hop by hop, minute by minute traverse over this spine of these mountains there that we were trying to head to the high point. And at some point, we got to this little crevice and we thought we'd actually stopped. We thought that for a second, or actually more than a second, we might actually have to turn all the way around and go back because we couldn't see the way around. But fortunately, we located a little trail to the side and came down and up and back into the pines. And 
Again, it just became a struggle much of that day. And as the sun kind of began to peek out, we recognized that the water was kind of growing thin and was, you know, we had little left. And we saw, finally, we weren't going to make it to Wheeler Peak that night. Unfortunately, you know, we, we recognized that we were going to have to alter our plan. And so at that point, it became a search for the Johnson Lake, which we knew existed out there somewhere along the spine. So we continued finally till we saw the lake and what a lake it was. This little tarn, this little glacier-fed lake, about 11,500 feet. And so we began the slow descent to Johnson Lake. And as we got there and we sat down and we reveled in the moment where we were and where we had been, it had been quite a day. I couldn't help myself but decide that, that it needed to be swam. The frigid waters felt more than good. And I took off for a short swim across this little lake and back. And there we were. It had been an incredible day that started just below the bristlecone pines. It started the day before as we drove through the desert. Unfortunately, the jackrabbits making their way out in front of the car at times with our lights shining on that lonely road. And as we were kind of making our way back to camp that night, looking for a place to finally settle down next to this gorgeous, gorgeous creek near a meadow that we finally did find, I couldn't help but think of that verse at Matthew twenty-one, twenty-one. Again, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And although I don't think any of us have ever come to know someone that really truly could move a mountain in that way, as I look back over the mountains that we had crossed, part of me wondered whether or not this is what God had meant in some ways. That if you have faith that you believe that it's possible to keep moving with me, that maybe you would move the mountains, but in a different way than you can, maybe we considered. Or maybe, maybe the mountains would just move us. So as we close out the series on movement, again in the physical room of our Christian home, I think it's important to consider that no matter how good movement can be, no matter how much we talk about the benefits that we discussed last week or, or the ways that it really can bring us closer to God and closer to the image that he has as a movement, uh, a people of movement, that we have to be honest about the obstacles that often get in our way to really not only reap the benefits of this movement, of this exercise, but also really prevent us from being the people of movement as God intended us to be. If we're not honest about these obstacles, I really don't think there's any way we're ever going to sustain activity and movement in our lives. And so that's where we're going to We're going to spend a little bit of time today in talking about what I think are eight key obstacles that really prevent us from not only starting a lifestyle of movement, not only embodying that in the beginning, but sustaining it over the course of our entire lives. And so the first, I would argue, is the issue of priority. That, you know, many times in our lives, and many of you may have grown up in households where movement simply was not a priority. And I think to really begin to address this, and by the way, all of these areas, all of what I talk about, there's much more detail on my website, james-schrader.com, if you're interested. But if we have to begin with this idea of priority, we really have to be intentional about how we're going to spend our minutes and hours of the day. There's obviously a lot easier ways to do it, maybe in front of the TV or, or maybe just kind of like hanging out or in front of the internet or whatever it is. And again, many of that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just the question of how much we allocate per day. But I think if you're really considering about how much of a priority do I make this for my life, 
One thing we have to do is ultimately go back to the antidote to pride, which is that we have to be more curious about what drives other people to create it as a higher priority than other things that might come much easier. And so I would say that if this is, you know, if priority of exercise is an issue in your life, then you really need to consider inquiring with those you know who have a more active lifestyle. Ask them what's worked, what's not. Ask them what motivates them and what doesn't. You really kind of get into the neurology of what drives people to be an active people. The second issue I think we run into is that it's just, honestly, let's be honest, it's hard, right? And to some degree, it's always going to be hard. It's always going to involve some level of aches and pains. You know, I remember years ago, I know that my beloved father-in-law who has since passed acknowledged that, you know, there was times in his life where he recognized that exercise could have been a really good thing for his anxiety. Um, It could have reduced some of the psychological and other physical symptoms he had. But that as he would start an exercise regimen, he would start to feel these aches and pains and it would make him nervous that something was going to go really awry. And so he backed off of it, you know, a number of times and never really ended up sustaining a lifestyle of movement that I think he really desired to sustain. So we have to kind of accept that exercise in some ways is going to induce, especially if you've not done much of it, some level of aches and pains. And so those first few weeks and few months when we're really getting in this lifestyle, It's important to be open about these aches and pains that we're feeling to recognize what might be more serious or what might not be, but also to seek out kind of advice from others. And, you know, I think the understanding that those initial days and weeks and sometimes forever in some ways that exercise is always going to have a certain element of difficulty is important because we know a new exercise regimen actually might seem to induce more stress than it dissolves in the beginning until it becomes part of our normal day. And so there's this initial commitment to the idea that it is going to be hard and it's okay. Part of that is just the way it's ordained, but we have to be honest about that. So as we move into kind of our third obstacle is this fear we have, whether it's of injuries or accidents or even assaults on the roadway. And I think that so many times that there's fears, for example, let's start with injury, that if I continue to get more and more active, that I'm also subjecting myself to potential injuries that I don't want to deal with. And this is why I think that so much of what we do, it's important to really recognize that we have to be conscious of the things we're doing. If we take it out, if we're too hard, too rough, whatever it is, we're going to struggle with this. But if we incorporate things like good diet and regular stretching, if we consider a rotating, maybe from running to biking or doing things that are a little easier on ourselves, if we also make sure that When we do feel a little bit of an injury coming on, I think sometimes the worst thing we can do is just stop movement altogether. Again, we have to be smart about this, but if we stop completely, instead of, let's say, running for a while and then swimming a little bit, we just don't do anything, then it's going to be really hard for us to ever sustain exercise. I can speak from experience in the last 20 years of being increasingly active. I can't think of a single time where I didn't have something that was bothering me a little bit. But instead of stopping, I felt really called and I I feel that in watching others who've really sustained movement, that I needed just to be a little more flexible or needed to find ways to bring in other rest and other things. You know, this idea of this fear of accidents and assaults is a huge thing, I think, especially for women. And that's why, you know, it's really important that our community find ways to help people feel more secure at exercising. It's also why we as people must find strategies like training partners or groups to allow us to get outside. And, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with being inside. I think that wherever you move is better than nothing. But being outside really does help sustain so much of the movement for many different reasons we've talked about before. 
So this next area is around what I'll talk about is busyness and distractions. I think this is really the fourth issue, the obstacle that we run into. And the problem is, is that we really have to ask ourselves this question. What do I want most out of today? It's really easy to find yourself pulled into the busyness and distractions of life without being really intentional. But if we do that, then we find ourselves in places that we don't want to be because we actually never even knew how we got there. So we have to begin to ask ourselves, what is it that I want today? And not just assume that somehow we're going to find our way into an active lifestyle, but rather it's being intentional about saying, hey, look, I've got distractions. So how am I going to manage these? And you know what? It's also being intentional about doing things to help ourselves out even a little bit more. I know that for many times when I'm waking up early to go swimming or doing something, even laying out my clothes the night before, even just having a few things set up makes that morning seem better, better in a way that I can sustain this long term than if I just went off the the cuff in the morning and didn't really have anything planned. So are we being pulled into distractions or are we intentionally making time for this? The fifth one is what I would say is the embarrassment image issue. All of us have kind of experienced this at times. We all want to look good, right? I think anyone who says that they like being fat is saying that they like being able to eat what they want, not that they like weighing 50 pounds more than they should. And this goes for even about men who brag about this beer belly and act as if it's a badge of honor. I think they're bragging about the particular lifestyle, not that they actually enjoy experiencing the pains and discomforts that, you know, someone who is overweight consistently feels. But, you know, I think the reality is that as hard as we think others might be on us, we are often our own worst critic, right? Have you ever walked into a gym and or stood at the starting line of a race, even an Ironman, and looked around? I mean, you'll notice that athletes come in all shapes, all sizes, and varying stages and levels of fitness. And so while we are often very self-conscious, the reality, it seems to be, is that People do make judgments sometimes, but we're the ones that are probably the worst when it comes to judgments. And so we have to be real about that. The next one, the sixth, I think, is that we often, it's just boring. We don't find the meaning, right? And the question here we have to ask ourselves is, in order to find meaning, do I need to have others participate with me? Do I need to consider what is it that I'm looking for here? Am I just going out to burn calories or am I really enjoying the outdoors? And it's just important that we train ourselves to see exercise more than just a commodity as something that we just should do or have to do, but rather train ourselves to say, if I open myself up to a lot of other possible aspects of meaning, what I see, what I feel, what I experience, what I meditate, where I'm at, what's going on, then that boredom will subside over time and we'll start to find meaning in places and ways that we didn't imagine. And when we come down to the last couple here, you know, I think that one of the things that happens is that results often don't come quick enough, or we just go out too fast and too hard. We kind of expect that things, if I start exercising now, it's going to get better, I'm going to look better. And when we don't see that happening quickly, we get discouraged. And I think this is where we can take the really the idea of the marathon training world, which says that when you're increasing your mileage, don't typically do it more than 10 to 15% at a time. You do that because you want to avoid injury in many ways. But the same thing applies here is that if we expect too much too quickly, we end up burning out. And so we have to avoid that. We have to work against that. And in the same way, too, we just have to consider, am I going out too hard too fast? 
do I go from not exercising at all to five days in the gym? I talked about that before when we, we really reviewed the idea of change and how to change effectively. And if we go out too hard, too fast, whether it's on one particular run or whether it's on an exercise regimen, we're likely going to run into difficulties. And finally, this is what we're going to talk more about in coming weeks. The issue of how do we sustain exercise has as much to do with the other two pillars of our physical health, and for that matter, psychological health too, and that is diet and sleep. Much more to come on this, but if you want to sustain exercise, probably the best, most important thing you can do is to consider just what you're eating and how you're sleeping. And that, those two things, really provide the foundation beyond even what I've just mentioned here. As we come to the end of this series on exercise and movement, I do sometimes think about the fact that I wonder why sustaining activity is so hard. And I just sometimes I do kind of ask God, it just if you if it's so important as everything indicates that it is, why is it so difficult? Like why why couldn't it just be a lot easier? And I think that as I reflected more and more on this, part of the answer that I come up with is that God is saying to us, again, I'm giving you something that's difficult for a reason. It's not just there to burn those calories, although, again, it's important for physical health to do that. But if it wasn't a challenge, if it wasn't something that was really difficult to do, then where would you find the deeper meaning in it? Where would you find the deeper dependence on me and what I've provided to you? Where would you go in deeper search of me and the way that you're moving at all? And inherently, when you think about that, when you think about the idea that if exercise and movement was just so simple as we didn't have to think about it and we never concerned ourselves and there was little challenge, then all that movement, the internal and external movement, in many ways, the kind of movement that's even most important, even more than just the physical health that we feel, the kind of movement that takes us closer and closer to God, who ordained all of this, would be much more unlikely. You know, that, that moment when we were up on top of the mountains of Great Basin, you know, like many other times, I've questioned myself, why did we take a difficult course? But years and years later, as I sit here reflecting on this with you, it was very clear God wanted us to move mountains that day. But I don't think it was the physical mountains he was concerned about. I think it was the mountains internally that stood in front of us that he desperately wanted us to move so that when we did, we truly could come closer to him. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole.